Welcome to Brook USA on the Road. Our mission at Brook USA is to significantly improve the welfare of working horses, donkeys, and mules, and the people they serve throughout Asia, Africa, the Middle East, the Americas, and the Caribbean by raising funds and responsibly directing them to the areas of greatest need. Brook USA connects private philanthropists with their passion for helping relieve the suffering of working equines and their owners. In each podcast episode, you'll hear a report from one of our board members on the current initiatives for our organization. You'll also enjoy updates from our Brook USA ambassadors, who range from top-level international writers to best-selling authors. I'm your host, Julianne Neal. In this episode, you'll have the opportunity to learn more about Brook USA, a nonprofit, board led organization dedicated to alleviating the suffering of working equines and the people they serve in the developing world. This episode of the podcast about how to help kicks off with a conversation with two Brook USA ambassadors, Allison Springer and Ramon Dominguez. We'll finish up by catching up with Amanda Miller and Kendall Beer, two of the Brook USA staff who keep the organization running behind the scenes. Welcome to Brook USA on the Road. Today we'll be speaking with two of the Brook USA ambassadors, Ramon Dominguez and Allison Springer. Ramon is a native of Caracas, Venezuela, and is a retired Eclipse Award winning champion jockey and Hall of Fame member in American thoroughbred horse racing. He began riding horses at age 16 in his native Venezuela, both in show jumping and then turned to riding thoroughbreds in flat racing before immigrating to the United States, where he started a career in racing in Florida. Allison Springer is a top-level three-day event rider and trainer, having competed across the United States. She has been consistently named to the USEF's high-performance training list and was shortlisted for the London Olympic Games. First of all, congratulations to both of you on some pretty exciting careers already, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So glad to be with you today. So, Allison, we'll start with you. Can you tell me how you became involved with the organization and how you became an ambassador? Yeah, so I think my first connection was actually at Tryon International Equestrian Center. Um, They had asked me to do some uh, celebrity bartending for an event they were having there. Um, and then I'm also very good friends with other ambassadors like Jessica Joe Tate and Allie Brock. Um, and just have, you know, have a lot of friends within it and was very honored when they asked me to, um, become an ambassador. So, um, it just started by me participating in some of the fundraising events, um, getting to know what the organization was about and then just jumping on board to help out in any way that I can. Well, as you mentioned, Tryon, I was I was at the World Equestrian Games, so I'm not sure if that's the event that you were talking about at the Equestrian Center, but the celebrity bartending thing looked like a lot of fun. So I know you must have been. It was. That. Yes, we had a good time. So it was not at that competition. It was a different event there, but it was a good time and we did raise good money. So that's, that's what it's all about. And Ramon, how about you? How did you meet up with this crew and how did you become involved? 
Yes, yeah, so it was actually, I believe that it was in 2017, I was uh, at the Brickney Stakes, which is one of the Triple Crown races. And uh, I was in the jockey's room and um, I ran into a friend, uh, another person from the horse racing world, um, Jamie Saltz. And she um, somehow came to me and started talking about if I knew about Brook USA. And I'm like, I have no clue what they are or who they are. And so she said, well, it's an amazing organization. And she basically gave me a very short uh, explanation as to what Brook USA was. And um, it was enough of an uh, intrigue uh, for me to raise my eyebrows and say, well, this sounds good. And uh, so then she made an introduction to a board member. And uh, this Josie was a no-brainer after that. And since then, I have um, done a couple of things. And one of them was bartending in a, at a tag shop in uh, Manhattan. And uh, But yes, uh, certainly going to Guatemala has been the highlight so far. Well, uh, you mentioned J.J. Tate and Ali Brock and Guatemala keeps coming up. And so I'm really interested in that whole experience. And um, I know that there have been other trips, too, but Guatemala just seems like maybe a milestone. So, Allison, how did that trip come about? How did you guys get involved and, and what was it like? Well, I think I think Brooke USA is amazing in how you know, they rely on the ambassadors a lot to spread the word, but I think it's important that we really get a um, in-depth understanding and see it in our own eyes, the work that they're actually doing. So, um, you know, that's, that's one of the things that they do do. They take the ambassadors to some of the areas and, um, and this timing worked for me, I guess the timing worked for Ramon as well. They put some dates out there. This is what worked for me and worked worked for Ramon and we're going to Guatemala. So (laughs) that's just sort of how that worked. But, um, it was pretty life-changing for me to see, because I know they obviously help the working animals and donkeys and equine, but to see how much it helped the communities, um, the people within the communities, how community building it was, was just awesome for me. It's I'm like, this is a tremendous organization. Work USA does such good work. Now, did you two know each other before the trip or you met on the trip? We met at the yeah, airport. Yeah, I think we uh, met in they... airport, Miami, right? <laughs> right. Yep, we met in the what airport. What a way to get thrown into the fire, huh? So hmm. I'm sure yep. traveling overseas is always interesting. But now, Ramon, with your background, um, you have an extensive background, first of all, in the equestrian world, having show jumping experience and then in the United States racing. But I'm sure your your background growing up may have given you a different perspective on the trip as well as a native Spanish speaking person. How how was the experience for you from the time you got on the ground? What was it like to be there? It, it was great. And, and certainly, like you said, um, I, uh, not only the fact that I'm, I speak Spanish, but also when we talk about at the beginning in just getting involved with horses period, whether it was show jumping or, or uh, in horse racing, I um, also came across people who had working equines and who live in a very poor condition. So um, I could relay and understand maybe to a different level what some of these communities were um, going through, but it was uh, amazing, amazing experience. Uh, as Allison said, but the one thing for me was sort of a, incredible maybe the highlight of the trip it was just having a conversation with the natives because these people were very shy and um, when it came to talking about their experiences with the people from brook usa and these um, little training sessions that they had like we actually put a little round uh, pen with sticks and a, and a string on top 
and the guy uh, Lester who, who was coming with Brook USA was uh, basically teaching these people horsemanship and from the ground up how to take care of these uh, donkeys in this case. Uh, but when I asked the natives about how has it been, because it wasn't the first time, it's something that, of course, it takes a uh, repetition. How has the experience been with this guy, Lester? And uh, it was amazing because they opened their eyes and they were like, oh, let me tell you, traditionally, um, we have been told that we are the boss and we need to make sure that the donkeys listen to us and if they don't know, if they don't, we just hit them. But that didn't work. And with this guy, it, this has been a, a breakthrough because and one of them said, you see this donkey here? And he's like pulling his ears. He said, look at how friendly he is. I couldn't even touch him. He was so rebel and so so difficult to handle. And now with this, we understand how to communicate with the with the animals. So that that was that alone was amazing for me to hear from these people. So they opened up to you, I'm sure, more than they would have anybody else. Very much so. Uh, I think that the fact that, of course, that we spoke the same uh, language and uh, yes, but I also was coming from a place of instead of me telling them about hey, how we do this in America, I was just more asking them and they just were telling me uh, personally their experiences to how much they have learned. Well, I know when I spoke with J.J. Tate and Allie Brock, J.J. was saying that it was even something as basic as there's a tire on the side of the road. Let's take it and see how we can make a feed bin out of it. And something that it's not you telling somebody what to do, but it's just showing them how to be creative with using what you have or, or whatever. So that that really struck me um, as something that was pretty special and important because, at, you know, they, it could have gone the other way pretty fast. So, Allison, what was it like watching Ramon kind of interact with people? Yeah. So, I mean, just to expand on what he said, what what I thought was really impressive is, yes, these people um, learned how to work with the animals and the animals were more cooperative. But what you have to understand, that has a huge economic impact on these people, because a lot of these people, when they were not training their animals well, when they were treating them poorly to, you know, make them do the job, they actually weren't, um, you know, a lot of them were not making the money they could or turning around because they just weren't productive enough. And now by training their animals in a kind way and the animals wanting to work with them, they're actually in a financially in a better position too. They, you know, which is an amazing thing to think about. And that's what really struck me about um, our trip there is how community building, how it really helped to improve the communities. I loved, um, you know, some of these areas we went to, I mean, we were on these back roads that were so washed out through the mountains. I'm like, oh, man, I hope this thing doesn't break down because we are out here. Right. And, um, you know, we went all the way back, you know, in, in into this. And it's it's hard to see some of some of the stuff. You know, you see a lot of young, young, young girls that are pregnant. Um but when we came to this one area and the whole community comes out for, you know, I think we were learning to make um, halters that day for the donkeys. And it was really cool. Uh, Ramon was awesome to watch with the children because I remember we were driving out there. He's like, oh, I have my notebook. I'm like, OK, what are you going to do with a notebook? You know, like, And he got there and made these amazing kites for the kids out of it. He's like, this is what we did. And it was just so fun to watch these kids flock around hit. And the community to come out and be so happy to gather around this community building event, which was obviously to begin with, to teach them how to work with their animals or, you know, use, use everyday, you know, just 
ingredients that you see around to make things for their animals. So it's just a pretty awesome experience. Now, Ramon, had you been around children a lot before, so you knew going in how you how you have to entertain, or was that something that just came to you spur of the moment? Well, if you were asking that question to my wife, she will tell you without hesitation, well, that's because he's a kid himself. <laughs> so uh, I enjoy the moment so much, and of course brought me back to my memories of my days in Venezuela growing up because it was about simplicity. And that's the one thing that when I, while I was there, it was um, easy to gravitate towards uh, what we know now and uh, how we live in a modern world here in the U.S. at least, where um, these kids uh, were very happy with very little. Uh, they were flying their kites and running around. Um, I did not see a single bicycle. And of course, in your mind, like, wow, if I make this trip again, how cool to bring some bicycles. But then it makes you wonder, um, is this going to be a positive disruptor? And the answer probably is no. So um, the one thing, though, is that um, it was so, so great to see the and the key word that I took from, from that trip is uh, that Brook USA is uh, making a positive impact, creating a sustainable, sustainable model in these communities because by giving them whether it is seed for them to plant their new crop of uh, uh, hay for, for to feed their animals. So th that is something that they then, then they save the seeds and replant again and teaching them different ways to handle their animals like Alison was saying, is something that now these little kids that we were seeing uh, running around, they will be able to learn that and teach that to their kids. So again, it is a sustainable model. That's so important also. And Ramon, I have to tell you, my partner, Bruce, was born in Venezuela and grew up on um, Trinidad and Tobago. And their family had a cocoa and coffee estate. And that whole idea of sustainability and planting and replanting and the animals being part of the work is is so important. But here in the United States, you know, I'm so far removed from that. And so many of us are. So when you were growing up in Venezuela, were you out of the city limits or were you in a big city? Was this something that you had always been exposed to as a child? So I, I grew up in an area where um, it was a mix between somewhat city, uh, but also like um, when we first moved to the community where I live, um, there were a lot of dirt roads and a lot of people on horseback. So you got to see a lot of the simplicity of uh, living, especially with the animal one-on-one. -on -one. So this is something that I um, understood, uh, but the diversity of... Um, how these people live and how they were uh, cooking from the corn that they grew, it was uh, something that, uh, it was at a different level that I had no experience before. But it was uh, certainly something that I greatly appreciate while watching these uh, people working. For more exciting content, tune in to Winnie Tales, horse stories, pony legends, and unicorn yarns, featuring the work of international equine clinician Bruce Anderson. You'll find these podcasts and more at equusfilmfestival.net or on any of your favorite podcast directories. It has been a while and I am um, continue to be in conversation. I haven't in a while with uh, the guy that was assigned to us. And um, of course, if you didn't ask me, I will remember his name. Um, awesome, awesome guy. But um, he is uh, the person uh, that was in charge with uh, ESAP, um, equines, uh, people working for... Uh, I, I, I want to translate in Spanish because it's actually in Spanish, but it's ESAP. So another uh, mother organization or an organization that Brook USA worked with. So um, 
we have a pending trip, which I would love to do in the near future to not only do something with Brook USA again in the community, but also to take my two young boys uh, for them to experience that. That would be so special. Allison, when you come back from a trip like that, what did you bring back with you? I mean, when you got back, was there some residual stuff that you brought back that you just, you can't, you're, you're on a high, I guess, when, when you've done something so exciting. How was it for you when you returned? Um, you know, I think anytime you are exposed to um, something, you know, a different, a different world like that. I mean, even when we were just driving around the volcano and you could see the mass devastation from that, that's just not anything I personally have ever seen or had to experience. Obviously we didn't experience it, but just seeing the damage and just trying to imagine yourself being on that volcano or, you know, how, how you're going to survive it was just, I mean, it, it changes you forever. It makes you, um, want to do more in the world and make it a better place for sure. So I think that was the biggest um, change for me, 100%. Well, the work that you all are doing as ambassadors and some of the board members, I've spoken to so many different initiatives and the fundraising is a big part of helping Brook USA to do the work that is being done. So there, there are different things. The Power of One is an initiative. The Films for a Cause was a, a recent initiative. And I've heard about some things that you, the two of you have been involved in with modeling and beauty products and that sort of thing. So I think that's pretty <laughs> That's not what I kind of expect yeah. to hear about. But so, Allison, you have like a lipstick beauty balm or whatever. How did all of that come about? Tell me about it. I know. Um, well, <laughs> they, um, you know, they're it's neat because it's you see the color names. You know, my color name is just Allison, but um, Laura Kraut has a color. All these big riders have. Sinead <laughs> Helton's a good friend of mine. She has a color, and it's fun, um, actually. Uh, the Brook USA um, uh, employee that went with us is Amanda Miller Kelly. And she said that she wore my color. I think it was, I don't know if it was her wedding day or something. It had to do with like, Oh, I love it. It was a Coralie sort of color. So that was fun. And that was, that's another great friendship. I hadn't met Amanda before the airport that day as well. And I just, I just love her. She has such great positive energy. She does a lot of fundraising for Brooklyn USA and um, just an amazing person. She reads so much. I love looking at her book recommendations. So, um, but that's, yeah, the lipstick was really fun. So that was um, Leslie Munsell from um, uh, the beauty for real did the, did a lipstick line with all the riders and it's just fun. So sometimes I'll see it down and uh, I think it was at the Dover tack shop maybe. And I still have people call her like, wow, you have a lipstick. That's so cool. <laughs> and it's fun. It's really fun. Did you get um, to pick your color or how did they, how did they match up? Yeah, color? no, that's what they did. They said, um, we got to, they're like, okay, you send them in some of your favorite colors. You know, I, I, sent Leslie like a, you know three of my favorite kind of colors or lip glosses that I use and then she developed a color and she sent it back to sample you know for me to sample and I think 
um, I suggested a change and she sent something back. So now I'm really happy with what I have. <laughs> that is really, really cool. But it's a, oh, with, it's a fun project for sure. It's husband and um, hers is a bright red, they tell me. And so I asked him if that, that matched her personality. He said, definitely. So I figured there had to be some personality matchup or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so, Ramon, I know you don't have a lipstick line, but I heard that you've done some really serious modeling GQ style for for Brooke USA. So tell me about the photo shoot and the clothing and all the attire. How did What was all of that about? So I uh, came down uh, uh, in Wellington for uh, one of the Brooke USA events. And uh, prior to it, uh, they asked me to bring some of my jockey attire, my riding pants and my boots. And uh, so I did. And I brought one of my trophies. And uh uh, they had uh, somebody who was uh, putting makeup, and the only thing they didn't put on it was the lipstick. Other than that, everything else I had on, I'm like, oh, if my jockey friends could see me right now, I'm sure that they will be laughing. But um, I, it was a good time, and uh, and then of course the following day we went to the event, which it was uh, amazing. Now, was that for the sunset polo and white party? I've heard all about that. I've heard it was a wonderful time. Have you been to that occasion as well? It was, uh, yes, uh, that's what it was. And uh, um, it was my first and only time so far. And uh, yes, uh, we was proudly uh, wearing my uh, white pants. That is awesome. Well, hopefully we'll all be back in person and having parties like that in the future. The virtual thing is wonderful so that we can still have these conversations. But I don't know about y'all. I miss I miss things being live and in person. So, um, Allison, could you talk a little bit, speaking of the Sunset Polo and White Party and all these other funding initiatives, the power of one is a pretty big one and just had to kick off in October. Can you speak a little bit about that and why it's so important for the organization? Sure. I mean, it's their latest campaign. The goal is to raise a million dollars over the next 12 months. And um, the idea of the power of one is that every single donation is important and matters and can make a difference. I think sometimes we feel like in the world, like, well, if I can't make a substantial contribution, then it doesn't matter. But we know that's not true. (laughs) Um, Every single donation counts. And, um, you know, just so I think that there's a lot of ways to get involved, Um, you know, even attending Brook events. I know they're all virtual now, but you can, you know, donating, volunteering, whatever you can do. But BrickUSA.org is the website. So you can really go there to figure out how to get involved. Um, They have a great social media presence. Um, And I didn't know this until recently, but you can actually um, text um, ORANGE to 71760 um, to donate to the Power1 as well. So There are a lot of different ways to do it, but I really, I think what's so important, and I keep trying to drive this home, it's not just about going around the world and telling people what what they're doing wrong and treat your animals better. It it really helps the whole community, not only the animals and and their their lives, but the people that rely on them. And I think that's really important um, because obviously this is a tough time in the world and you know, I, I appreciate that, it, it, you know, a lot of people probably are struggling for work and whatnot, but it doesn't take too much, like a small donation, a little bit of help, volunteering, whatnot can really go a long way. And so that's the idea behind the power of one. And you're so correct. I mean, that every little bit helps. And sometimes to me, the grassroots things of 
of people being able to be a part of something bigger maybe helps with buy-in. And we have situations here right in the United States, too, that I know that have been helped by some of the fundraising with the wildfires and the storms and that sort of thing. So just some amazing work. I, you I, you both, both must be pretty proud to be a part of it all. So, Ramon, what is next for you? I know you mentioned you have children, you, uh, you know, traveling and doing different things, I'm sure. What's, what's next on your plate? Well, professionally, I have been uh, working on a humane riding crop, actually, that a lot of the jockeys have been using, and I will kind of segue into another equestrian disciplines mm-hmm. as well. Uh, in addition to that, I am um, starting a project with a guy who used to work with ESPN, where we will be uh, doing so many different things in horse racing, just promoting the good of the sport, and eventually streaming races, and uh, doing a lot of interview with the personalities, the jockeys, uh, something that I enjoy. So yeah, those are two projects and uh, continue to raise the kids and be a father. What do you think about this year's racing um, schedule has been so different and everything in the fall? How has that been for all the racing world? It has been different for sure. Um, At the same time, I feel like um, the racing uh, leaders have done the best they can uh, to continue racing and I think that it has been an overall success uh, uh, for the first time we have seen the triple crown which for example is always the Kentucky Derby the first uh, Saturday of May and then uh, a couple of weeks later we had the Preakness and then the Belmont Stakes and this year was quite the opposite where it was the Belmont Stakes was first and there was ample time for then the Kentucky Derby and last it was the, the Preakness so those are things uh, certainly different than we have uh, experienced before but at the same time, we are very pleased and we're thankful that at least we're having the races. And um, there has been some of the racetracks where they had uh, one-point attendance. Uh, but for obvious reasons, uh, that has uh, diminished greatly. Uh, but um, the people are still watching the races, uh, betting on the horses. And uh, the game has uh, continued to thrive in some ways. So, But we, as you said before, we are looking forward for this to be over and for us to meet in person uh, on a continuous basis. Well, I told Jim Hamilton, who's one of the board members, um, right before the Preakness or right before Belmont, I think it was, I bet on them by their name. So I never win anything anyway, but I do enjoy going, yeah. getting to watch and see what happens. So we're, we're looking forward to that, that happening again for sure. And Allison, what about you? What's next in the event world? Well, last uh, week was my last competition of the year. I was at Tryon International Equestrian Center again, and we had our final FEI competitions. And really grateful to the organizing committee to, uh, you know, making it happen, especially during this pandemic. Great protocols. Um, we've been doing it safely. So now, now my big competition horses get a little vacation. Um, I am you know, enjoying this time of year, you know, I enjoy just the countryside, do a little, um, fox hunting. And, um, I am actually, will be down your way in not too long. Uh, I spend a couple months every year in Aiken, South Carolina with my eventers. So I won't be too far from you. We That's drive through right. Camden often. Fox Frolic. So, is just, that is, is that the right place? Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly where I go. It's yeah. amazing. It's a wonderful place. So looking forward to, um, 
Yeah, this this year has been so long, and I can't believe it's now actually coming to an end. Right now, March feels like a year ago um, <laughs> or longer. It's just been such an odd year, but just kind of it's a good time to reflect on the year and look forward to the next. And, um, you know, I'm I'm actually trying to buy a farm right now, which is exciting, too. So Oh. Um, that's a big change for me. Yes. Yes. So that, that should be, um, we're excited to celebrate next year for sure. <laughs> I think everybody's looking forward to 2021. So what, what do you yeah. know of Allison that's next for Brook USA as well? Well, for Brooke, you know, just kind of help bringing, um, attention to, um, the fundraisers that they're doing and certainly to power one, which right now we're still just because of our pandemic is a lot of virtual and social media. So um, hopefully in this um, holiday season, what a neat gift maybe to give someone um, maybe a donation on, on their behalf or whatnot, just a good idea. I always enjoy doing things like that for family and friends um, during the holiday. So that might be a good thing for people to think about. Um, Absolutely. Uh, this year. And Ramon, how about you? Do you see yourself continuing with Brook USA as an ambassador? What's next for you with the Brook USA group? I would love to, definitely. Yes. Um, I mean, I once that you get to experience and get to know more about Brook USA, what they do and how they work this, uh, how, how they help this work in equines, uh, you can help to really want to be involved. So I am uh, pretty certain that Brook USA will reach their goal of a million dollars towards the power of one. And uh, it's um, incredible looking back and reflecting on what Brook USA has done, how they have grown, how many equines they have helped in the process. And uh, and yes, as Alison said, just creating or continue to create more awareness, but also raising funds to help even more working equines. So that's uh, something that I look forward to being involved with. So thank you both so much for being with me today and, and speaking about Brook USA and about all the fun things y'all have going on too. It's um it's been a lot of fun to speak with you. Thank you, likewise. Thank you so much. One hundred million working horses, donkeys, and mules support six hundred million of the world's poorest people. They are the sole source of income for many families through the backbreaking labor of their animals. Unfortunately, the majority of these working equines are suffering from chronic welfare issues and premature death, nearly all of which are preventable. Brook USA provides funding for scientifically proven, practical, and sustainable equine welfare programs throughout the developing world. We work primarily through Brook, the world's largest international equine welfare charity, which reaches 2 million working equines annually, benefiting 12 million people who depend on them. When we fund training for people and veterinary interventions for working equines, Brook USA effectively prevents and eases the suffering of these animals and ensures better livelihoods for people now and for generations to come. Projects recently funded by Brook USA include construction of permanent water troughs in Ethiopia, continuing education for veterinarians in Senegal, training for Maasai women who own donkeys in Kenya, veterinary interventions in Pakistan, disease prevention and training for animal health care workers in India, improved nutrition for animals in Guatemala, and so much more. We also recently funded emergency relief programs for equine victims of natural disasters in the U.S. and Puerto Rico. 
please help us fund even more solutions to the world's most challenging equine welfare problems. As we kick off our final interview of 2020, which that's an incredible thing to say, um, I'm really pleased to be speaking with the girls, as as I've called them in in our introductions and everything else. And so I just want to say welcome, Amanda. Welcome, Kendall, to the podcast. Um, that feels so strange for me to be saying to you guys, but I'll say it anyway. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Well, y'all have helped in every aspect of the Rook USA on the road from the very beginning. In fact, Amanda, you were the first person that I spoke with when we started talking about the idea of even having a podcast. And That's so, right. Yes, y'all, you helped me get excited about it. So thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome. If I can ever pump anybody up and be a cheerleader, I'm always happy to do that. <laughs> Well, it just seems appropriate that we started with those conversations and Kendall, you were quickly in on it as well. And with Emily, of course, I'm going to ask each of you, if you had to say, how do you feel about 2020 and how far you've come with Brook USA? How do you feel about that? So Amanda, we'll start with you. Sure. Uh, well, 2020 has been wild, I think, kind of from, from start to end. But I think what we've done with Brook USA, it's actually been really exciting to try some new creative endeavors, including this podcast. And it's also been really heartwarming to see how people um, have stepped up as donors and supporters and friends, recognizing that COVID-19 is something that is impacting the globe, not just here at home, not just across the pond, but everywhere. So that's been wonderful to see. And and Kendall, what about you? How do you feel in general about 2020? I think that 2020 was a chance for Brook USA for us, even though we're small but mighty, to spread our wings and to be able to come up with some new initiatives and fun ideas that we may have never have had the chance to give a shot before. Mm -hmm. So it really took us into a virtual realm. And I think that having the exposure that we have, creating relationships with new donors, new partners, and being able to really connect with our donors is something that I think I just think it was crucial this year. And I don't know if we would have had the same opportunity to connect in the ways that we did had this year not happened. I think it was a growing experience and a good one. What struck me from the beginning of of working with you guys is I initially thought that you probably had a team of like 20 or 30 people doing all your different things with social media and and planning and organizing. And then it, it's all boiling down to Emily would say, well, let me let me ask Amanda or let me ask Kendall or let me talk to one of the one of the girls. And so I'm quickly realizing as we dove in that there's y'all, the two of you and Emily. And, you know, you do have other people helping for sure. But the the gist of of your team or the the impetus of things happening is is coming from just mainly three people. So congratulations and kudos to both of you for that. So I'll ask um, how, first of all, how you got involved with Brook USA. What brought you to the organization? Um, Kendall, how about you? What's the first time you ever heard the, the title, the name? 
well. The first time I ever heard the title and name was in a conference room in Wellington, Florida, while I was working at Phelps Media Group. And I was in charge of the nonprofit accounts for the agency. They're one of the leading equestrian firms in the world. And I was the one who loved being able to work with nonprofits. And Brook USA had really just started sort of gaining a little bit more traction and momentum here in the United States. And they wanted to be able to reach out in the equestrian industry. So naturally, they came to Phelps Media Group, and I sat down and learned all about them, and they became my client. And shortly after, Emily became um, the executive director, now the CEO of the organization, and she was phenomenal. The mission, everything was so well organized and put together, and there were so many fun and creative ideas. Since Brook USA was so young, it gave us the opportunity to be able to come up with fun and exciting ways to be able to reach new people and to engage. And I fell in love, not just with the mission, but also with the people. So I decided to actually jump ship um, after we did our first Brook USA Sunset Polo and White Party. I helped to put that on while I was working at Phelps Media Group. And Emily and I chatted afterwards and she said, you know, I think that you would be instrumental to the organization. How do you feel about making a, a career move? And I didn't hesitate. In all honesty, as much as I loved working in the public relations world, everything that Brook USA had was what I wanted and more. So that was four years ago. And I'm still here today and loving every minute of it. Wow. Well, it definitely shows. I mean, you can tell that you enjoy what you do for sure. Um, Amanda, how about you? What was your first introduction? How did you first hear about Brook USA? Uh, mine was absolutely not like Kendall's. <laughs> <laughs> mine was very much, um, so I'm a, I'm a fundraiser by profession. I've been a fundraiser for a decade and a half. And I saw a job posting for Brook USA on the Association of Fundraising Professionals um, marketing emails. And I looked at it and I thought, huh, I was already working regionally. I was working for a PBS uh, affiliate. So I was working in a regional atmosphere as a major gifts officer. And I thought, well, national, that might be pretty cool. And I absolutely on a whim threw my hat into the ring. And then I got an email from Emily and we started the interview and getting to know you process. And it's been three years and I had no experience working in the animal world. I come absolutely from the arts and human services. Those are my two backgrounds. But the truth is there's so much that we do that overlaps with human services in particular. Our main thing is that the lives of equines and the lives of humans are so intertwined. So it's actually been fairly easy to take some of my background there and certainly my background in fundraising and bring those together here. So I've been here for three years and uh, just who knew that that one whim of I could throw my hat in that ring to see what happens. <laughs> With that life-changing little moment where you just... Who knew? <laughs> that pocket, right? Yeah. Well, so you said major gifts officer. Or, mm-hmm. And so is that, that sounds to me like fundraising and, and fostering those relationships with your donors and that sort of thing. So is there more to that job than I'm thinking on the superficial level? What all do you do? What the uh, Well, so, so as a major gifts officer in general, right, my job is to 
work with people to figure out how to uh, bring their interests as as philanthropists and as community members into the causes that we're funding. So I'm helping find ways to invest for them in something that pays back in dividends, not necessarily in money, but in you know knowing that what they're doing is is helping. Uh, as a major gifts officer with Brick USA, that involves quite a bit of travel, or it did because we cover the entire United States. Now all of my travel is virtual via Zoom. Um, but we also do things like planning uh, meetings or events where we can bring our donors together or bring together supporters who may want to hear from our colleagues across the globe. So it's really finding ways to connect with people where they are. So, I mean, as someone who I struggle with fundraising, I mean, for our small nonprofit little thing, I struggle with that. And so what is the part of your job? What makes you love that? I mean, is it, is it just the gratification when you get something really worked out and it, it works or what is it? You get this great buzz uh, when, when you've, when you've made that connection happen, when you have found a project that somebody wants to contribute to and you can close that door and, and, and let them, let them be a part of it. You get this buzz. It's a, I don't really know how to explain it, except that you feel like, okay, I did that. We did that and we did it well. And I am not afraid of asking people for things. I sort of figure the worst they can do is say no, or the worst they can do is say nothing. And so then I'm waiting to find out if they're going to say yes or no. And I, I think that really, ultimately, it's just about connecting with the people, because if you've connected with with people and you've gotten to know them and you've gotten to know what they love, actually, fundraising is just the natural next step of that. It's not it's not a huge leap if you built that relationship. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And then you both have said that things kind of overlap with you guys. But Kendall, I know one of the things that you're the most involved in is social media and and putting things together. And and you just have an eye for making the ads look good. I mean, they're pretty. Obviously, you have some artistic background there and, and you're able to do all that. But then you also work on this sunset Vita, polo and white party that I hear everybody talking about. So Kendall, can you tell me about the party in years past, and then we'll talk about maybe maybe what's to come. How did it used to be? Well, the Brook USA Sunset Poem Light Party started out as an idea at a cocktail party here in Wellington, Florida, where I'm located. And one of our donors, Margaret, had hosted a cocktail party to announce her ambassadorship for the organization as one of our founding ambassadors. Um, Catherine, who actually has been on one of our previous podcasts and is also vice chair of our board and upcoming chair of our board, she was at that cocktail party. And one of our other ambassadors, Nick Roldan, was there as well. And together, this idea just came to life. So we all sat down. I remember walking into the Wanderers Club and having this group of like four of us. It was Emily, Nick, Catherine myself and we're sitting there and we're like how do we make this happen how do we take polo and also take a party and do we do a theme and how is this going to all work and it was putting all of those pieces together it started out as the idea for doing sunset polo 
and having two teams that would play against each other for about 30 minutes to an hour in an exhibition match. And then after that, everybody would be able to come back up to the pool where we would have cabanas and everybody would have a big white party. So everything was decorated in white, a big silent auction and a DJ and just make it the party of all parties to end the winter season in Wellington. Well, that first year, we expected that we would maybe have about 400 people. We ended up getting about 675 people the first year. Mm. The second year, it expanded to 1,000 people. The third year... Um, that was actually the second year of us doing our VIP. We added an entire VIP veranda upstairs, an additional polo team for the exhibition match. It just grew and grew and grew. And we had almost 1500 people that year, uh, the Wanderers club, they were saints in figuring out where to put everyone and park everyone and all of our volunteers that come out for it. They were amazing. You know, it, it, it takes a lot of people to do these events. And as as you know, we're we're a small staff, so we rely on the help of our volunteers here in Wellington and also the generosity of our supporters. So the event grew in its third year to be about 1,500 people. Mm. And then we, we were continuing on, and it just grew and grew and grew. This last year was going to be a huge event. We had more planned than ever before. It was going to be massive. And a week before... Um, and it, it would have been great, but a week before COVID-19 took it out from under us, (laughs) it it was the right call. It was the right decision to make, especially with all of the uncertainty that was happening. We postponed until 2021. And right now we are looking at Um, doing it again in March. We're trying to figure out what date it's going to be, though, because everything's so different in Wellington right now with the horse shows and, you know, are the spectators allowed to go? Are they not allowed to go? Are the riders going to be able to come? How do we do social distancing? So we're looking at a few different formats for it, but the number one priority is that when we do this event, it will be safe. And that is first and foremost, it's going to be safe, socially distanced. It's going to be a special edition event. It's going to be a little bit different than any of the other ones. So we'll have some big uh, surprises coming up in the the approaching weeks to make some announcements on for what's going to be happening. And we will have a save the date and everything going out so people can mark their calendars. And our biggest fundraising event of the year will be back and it will be socially distanced and wonderful. (laughs) Yay! I was just hoping you were going to say that because, I mean, with everything I've been hearing about it, it just sounds like you can't let something like that go for forever. It has to come back. And so one of the people that I spoke with was Ingrid Hoffman, who was instrumental in organizing, planning um, the cuisine and decorations, decorations, I'm sure, and everything else. So is she still a part of the process, planning process for the next round? Yes, definitely. Ingrid is one of our celebrity ambassadors. She is absolutely phenomenal and has been instrumental in making the Brook USA Sunset Polo and White Party a true success. Um, She has designed the menu from top to bottom, worked with the Wanderers Club and with Chef Tam over there to be able to design everything to perfection. When people walked up into the VIP veranda, I mean, the food was not only beautiful, 
but it matched the way that it looked and the way that it tasted. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that, you know, many events you worry about, is the food really going to be good by the time it gets to the table from the kitchen? And what if it's, you know, different food stations, but Ingrid made sure that everything was top notch and she'll continue to do that this year for the special edition. She's already committed saying that she'll help us with the design and making sure that everything is exactly as it needs to be. So we're super excited to have her back on board again for the special edition. Well, it's funny. I mean, the food sounds wonderful. The whole decor and decorations, everything sounds phenomenal. And the entertainment, of course, the polo part of it. Is there any thought of maybe having some of the ambassadors or you guys, any of y'all doing part of the exhibition and, and having a little mini polo match of your own? I think that would be interesting, don't you? You don't want to see me on a horse. No, it's not. That is not in my skill set at all. <laughs> I like to see be them. Fun. <laughs> I like to see them. I like to touch them. I like to be near them. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not a polo player. It's not where my athletic prowess lies. <laughs> I gotcha. Okay. Well, Kendall could though. Kendall could. I was gonna say. Sounds like Kendall might have to lead the charge on that one then. <laughs> One of the things that we discussed for last year was having Allie Brock, who also was on our first podcast, but um, she was going to actually take lessons and be a celebrity player for the Sunset Polo and White Party. But unfortunately, it did not happen. But we'll see. We'll see if it happens in the future just to make a guest appearance. Pop in and, you know, just play a checker and have some fun. That's what it's all about. Exactly. Exactly. Now, do you do the thing like in Pretty Woman where you go out and step on the little divots and all that kind of stuff too? We actually don't have the divot stomp during the exhibition. And the reason why is because it moves very quickly. The lighting at this time of the year in Florida, you have a very, very short amount of time to be able to host the polo event before it becomes dark. Ah. So usually when we end the, um, the exhibition matches and we do the awards, the sun is already going down. Right. So it, there's no time for the divot stomp or the champagne on the field, but it's something that we've talked about in the past for a way to be able to incorporate in the future, you know, should we end up ever doing anything with lights on the field or anything along those lines. But I think we have many years ahead of us to be able to continue to grow and make the event even more exciting. So we'll see what happens. That sounds so much fun. So much fun. I can't wait to hear how it all is going to play out. And you have so many other things that you are are doing to bring attention to the advocacy and awareness for Brook USA, the coffee and chats and, um, and all of the other little things. There's a regional advisory council that I've been hearing about, and I think I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to be a part of. And You are. In. Yeah. Um, so can you tell me, Amanda, what is that all about? Sure. It's it's a really fun way for us to engage volunteers in areas where we recognize that we want more of a presence. So right now we have one in Northern California, one in Aiken, which I believe is the one that you're joining, um, one in the foothills of North Carolina, the Bluegrass Advisory Committee, which is around the Lexington area, and then one in Dallas. So in each of these areas, we have found that we have there are a number, a great number of supporters who we'd like to engage more, or maybe there's a, a huge equestrian community there that we want to kind of get our feet on the ground a little bit more. So we find wonderful volunteers 
in each of these areas who help come together in a way that is not only helpful for us because it's it's more people, but these are people who know that area. You know, if you were, I'm in Michigan, and if you were to come to Michigan and say, I want to hold an outdoor event in January, I would know as a local, that's a terrible idea because it's negative 100 and no one's going to go. So there is this, this local uh, flavor that we can then bring to what we do in each area, which is all thanks to the fact that the people who are planning it actually live there and actually attend other events there and know what that looks like. We just aired last week the conversation with Dwayne Hildreth about mm-hmm. some exciting things that he has planned for the Dallas area as, as yes. part of that. And um, just bringing that whole new group of people involved in Western riding, which I know in Wellington, you see a lot of the hunter jumper and dressage yes. and everything else. But the Western side of things, there's so many, so many things to do with that. So he just sounds like he's a bundle of energy and he's going to have a lot to lot to do with that. So Dwayne is great. And we are really excited to have him in, um, in Texas and helping lead that Dallas area expansion because Texas is, is an area that we would love to get deeper into, but none of us, none of us are local there. So being able to have a board member who can then help rally some other troops is a huge gift. That is definitely true. So there are other initiatives that are both funding and advocacy and everything else. And you just launched the Power of One not that long ago. I mean, maybe a month, two months. How has that been going? First of all, what is it? Kendall, if you'll tell me about this, what is the Power of One for folks who may not have heard of it? And how's it going? Sure. The Power of One is a year-long campaign. We launched it with Hope's Legacy on October 15th. So For the next year, from October 15th, 2020 till October 15th, 2021, the power of one is our overarching theme of the year. It is going to be the way that we can raise $1 million, and that's all through the impact that one person can make. That doesn't mean that one person donates $1 million, although that would be absolutely lovely. Call me if you want to do that. (laughs) But what it means is that one person can make a difference, no matter how large or how small. It could be making a gift. It could be sharing one of our Facebook posts or Instagram posts. It could be putting on a fundraiser. It's really just looking at the power of one, not only as an individual, but also as a collective. And that larger collective really came together for us this um, past week. We had Giving Tuesday. And the power of one was immense. We had Taylor Harris Insurance Services who stepped forward to match the first $2,500 raised for Giving Tuesday for Buy a Donkey a Drink. And then within the first like hour on Giving Tuesday, the $2,500 was already raised. And then after that, it just, it continued and we communicated about it the whole day and thank yous to the donors. We were absolutely overwhelmed because we had a goal of $35,000 for Giving Tuesday and we actually ended up exceeding that and raising over $40,000. It was $41,193 at the end of the day on Tuesday. That is awesome. It's exceptional. I mean, people have really come together and whether it was sharing the posts, making the donation, writing letters to people, you know, reading the mail that we even send out with what's going on with Work USA and just communicating with us. It was enormous. And I think that you can really feel 
the power that one person does have, especially on that day, but that day can be every day. And I think that's the point of the power of one is that it's more than just one day of giving. It's making sure that you're giving back during the year and spreading the word and really being a true proponent of what we are doing. You know, our mission isn't only about working equines. It's also about the humans that depend on them to survive. There's women who have children, but they have to take care of their donkeys and they are the household, you know, the head of the household, really, when it comes to the chores and taking the children to school. And can the children even go to school because they may need them at home to be able to help bundle different items to take them to the market. Um, These are all things that we are able to address through our funded projects. So when people are able to spread that word or to give to Brook USA, the impact is enormous. Well, and I I spoke with Kathy Moss to tell um, just recently, one of your your volunteers, and she was talking about the Paint Hope Orange campaign that she's sort of started just as a a side thing. And and she was telling me that they she'd been involved with giving for a long time with philanthropy and just having that tip. She called it a tip jar or a a donation jar or whatever. And people walking through her her thrift store just putting a dollar. And then once you see a dollar, you're more willing to put in another dollar because you know somebody else has given and so it's that self-efficacy feeling that you're doing something and that you're involved in something that's a little bit bigger than you and I think at this time of year with Giving Tuesday and end of the year we're all celebrating holiday things or whatever but remembering the Women for Donkeys campaign or or the Buy a Donkey a Drink campaign it's your it's time to, to do a little bit more so that's pretty exciting. You also just had an auction and I was very excited about it because my bid won for the velvet tote. I'm so happy. I think I outbid Emily. So I don't know that that's a good thing for her. But sorry. <laughs> but how did it go? It went really well. You know, Laura Rumbauer is on our, um, our board. And she also was the chair of the auction for the Sunset Polo and White Party. When we postponed the party and had these auction items that were sitting in storage, we all sort of put our heads together and said, how can we still make a virtual event happen? So during Hope's Legacy, we launched a sneak preview for all of the ticket holders to be able to go on and look at the items that we had for the auction. And then we ran it until um, shortly after Giving Tuesday the next day, because Cyber Monday was the day before Giving Tuesday, Black Friday was the Friday before that. So we sort of let it go until the third. And, you know, it was a great response from people. We were able to have many of the items that otherwise would have sat there, you know, until next year, they were able to help us raise money in the final moments of 2020. And I think that people, you know, A lot of people understand how important giving is, but even the events that we're doing, those proceeds benefit our projects. So being able to take a step back and say, you know, I could buy this on this website, but look at this. This is a unique item that I'm able to purchase, and it also benefits Brook USA. It's really that shopping for a cause. And, you know, it worked really well on Cyber Monday, too, with Amazon Smile, people choosing Brook USA as their charity. That's something that can be done anytime you're on Amazon to help raise money. And it just it's a snowball effect. You know, you look at how great the virtual auction did, and that can be in any part of your life. Mm-hmm. 
look at Paint Hope Orange, which Kathy is doing, and you can purchase items on there, which 100% of the proceeds benefit Brook USA. That's um, PaintHopeOrange.com. If you know, you're know you driving by a Starbucks and you think to yourself, I really want to grab a coffee, but I just, uh, I don't want to spend the $5 on that latte. You can text Orange to 71760 and give that $5 to Brook USA and give up the latte. I mean, it's it's the small little switches in in your life that can help to really raise the money and bring it in, especially at the end of year. That is so true. Well, and I have to ask because I can tell also that all of these ideas are coming from collaborations between you guys. And you obviously get along really well. Um, you don't I don't like a man all the time. <laughs> Yes, I've seen I've seen when it's just the two of you and and I've also seen when it's the two of you and Emily. And so I know one one conversation I couldn't get in a word edgewise because y'all were having so much fun. That's true. Which was That's great. true. Yeah. So so I'm gonna ask I won't ask you to tell me a secret on Emily, although i I had considered that. Um and and maybe at the end we'll see. <laughs> but um you've been working virtually for a long time. And the rest of us are just kind of having to jump on this. <laughs> How have you made all of that work for you? What it was your schedule like? I mean, Amanda, you tell me what's your schedule like on a on a, any given day working for Brook USA? How does that happen? So I, one of the biggest pieces, and I had never worked virtually until I started working for Brook USA. And for me, one of the biggest pieces is I have a regular workday schedule, you know, 8.30 to 5.30, 8 to 5, kind of whatever, depending on meetings. Um, but get up and I, I treat it like a regular workday. I get ready. I, I I take a shower. That feels very important. <laughs> I was telling Kendall that one of the things is I wear shoes every day because, oh, you can't see them, but I wear shoes every day because if I can feel that I'm wearing shoes, I feel like I am professional and I am, you can't, you can't slack when you're wearing your shoes. So that's a big piece for treating it just like, just like I'm working in an office, except maybe I can switch my laundry over during the middle of the day or, or something like that. A, a, a difference that I think we have that not all people now working from home is that we work across time zones. Um, just within the U.S., you know, we have from Eastern to Pacific, but then we also work, India is 12 and a half hours ahead of us. That half hour is very confusing to me. Uh, you know, we have Guatemala that's two hours ahead of us or Nicaragua. So we do work kind of some very strange uh, adjustments to those hours, but really it's just, it's just about, I just try to make it like any other work day. And one thing that Emily has done very well is she has really fostered within us this engagement like you might have in a regular office. When I first started, she said, okay, if we were in an office building and my door was open, you could just walk in and start talking to me about whatever you're working on. Use the phone like that. Use your phone to say, hey, I had this great idea. So there's no hesitation in picking up and calling each other. Um, Zoom and Teams have really made this great too. Just this morning, the three of us were on Teams starting by talking about work and then sort of devolved probably a little bit. But <laughs> but it is just fostering this, this relationship between all of us. But yeah, we're in different states and we're, we don't see each other in person every day. But I talk to Kendall more than I talk to 
the people I know who actually live here. And you know, I talk to Emily multiple times a day. So that's a huge part of it. It's just feeling like these are my people. I don't have to be in the same room as them. They're still my coworkers. Wow. And Kendall, do you feel the same way about it? I guess you see Emily a little bit more than you do Amanda in person. I rub it in Amanda's face all the time. (laughs) We have our our get-togethers to work on virtual auction items and being able to photograph. I get get to eat a fancy lunch usually. (laughs) I have like a reward system for myself when they see each other. I I love it. I love it. It's true. But even with Emily living in Miami, she's still about an hour to an hour and a half away from where I am. So it's not necessarily an easy drive. Um, it's really nice to be able to see her, um, especially, you know, with with COVID-19. I think we all have been lacking that that personal communication of being able to sit down and have lunch or grab a coffee or just shake hands with someone. I don't remember the last time that I shook hands with somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's one of those pieces of of the working puzzle, I think, that really has benefited us is that Amanda, I I can call her and I know that no matter what my question is, we'll find an answer. Because if she doesn't know it, then we'll just merge Emily in. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> I don't know how many times a day, like we're on the phone with each other and then it's like, oh, hold on. So-and-so is calling me. Let me merge us in. And then it's just a big, big conversation, but we have a blast. And I think that one of the things to know about this uh, Brook USA family is that we have lived in close quarters. Yes. We have done the events together. We, we know everything about each other and we have fun. And yeah. that's the best part is that not only do we love what we do, but we also love each other. And I think that it makes for a really, really dedicated team when you have your family. And, you know, we're going to have our our little holiday lunch next week on Zoom and be able to get together. And it's exciting because for us, you know, it's our catch up time and just be able to sort of talk about the year and the successes that we've had and the people that we've met with and talked to and I don't think that everybody has this luxury with the team that they work with. So I honestly feel extremely, extremely blessed to know that I have Emily and Amanda and that we are so strong together as a team and also as a friendship as well. I will say that the bond between Emily and Kendall and I as as a co-working team came so much faster than it ever has for me in any other organization because we travel together. We go different places for meetings and events. Um, I've I've stayed in Kendall's house overnight, which is not something I've done with other co-workers. um, We've all... We've all slept in in a hotel or we've all, you know... Or a barn. Or a barn, sure, that too. Um... (laughs) We've, we've really all traveled together and, and built these relationships, both having to do with work and then outside of work as well. And I think often, particularly in the nonprofit world, there is this sort of idea of, oh, when someone says, oh, we're a nonprofit family, it's because it's a toxic environment. It's because they expect you to put in too many hours for too little pay or because they expect um, that you should just be grateful that you have a job or or whatever. It's, it's a, it's, it is a problem, but that's not what we mean, I think, when we say the Brooke USA family. I mean, truly, we mean we, <laughs> we have lived together in the same quarters. We have 
we, we talk to each other all day, every day. I think we all know more about each other's husbands than, than most coworkers do. <laughs> well, I definitely won't ask those secrets. So. <laughs> well, well, since my husband's working from home now and, and Kendall's oh. on a different schedule and Emily's husband is often home, they'll all pop in on our calls. <laughs> it's very different. Um, it's very different than when you see someone from nine to five in an office every day. Right. For sure. But one of the other things that we really do want to hopefully have happen once everything's calmed down a bit with COVID-19 is start connecting our donors a little bit more again with each other. And we've really been working on that. Um, Our DOTS that we have, which is our affinity group, it's a group of women who just, they're wonderful. They pledge $1,000 a year and they come together to help us raise funds for different projects that we're working on. And it's called Dots because it's a nickname for Dorothy and Dorothy Brooke being the founder of Brooke. Um, we thought that that was a wonderful way to be able to connect everyone to her legacy. But we've been doing Zoom calls, book clubs, doing a lot of fun things with them. And we're hoping that during the spring or the summer, maybe we'll be able to do a little bit more of the physical, you know, having people be able to meet each other, do some fun events with that. So we're looking forward to that too in the future, which would be great. Definitely. Oh, I hope it happens. Well, is there anything else before we go that you'd like for everybody to know about Brook USA in 2021? I think if anyone has any ideas, one of the things that we talked about quite a bit here is how people can have a great idea and it'll turn into something big. Uh, And with the power of one, that's the perfect time to talk about it. So certainly if anyone has an idea like a like Kathy's Paint Hope Orange or um, Leslie Munzel, who I know you've interviewed with Beauty For Real, who had an idea as to how to be a corporate partner and um, using our Amazon Smile. Certainly, if anyone has any ideas, um, we are spreading our creative wings and we'd love to hear them. So certainly to reach out to one of us and see what we can do. Also remember that with it being the end of year and it being the holidays, that now is the perfect time to be able to send a gift in the form of a donation in honor of someone. We have some really cute certificates that we send out. We also have note cards that are adorable. And then we have a um, handmade donkey ornament that was made in India and donated by Laura Rumbauer that is also going out with our end of year gifts. So it's a great way to be able to send the gift of making an impact along with a little bit extra just to bring a smile on someone's face. So that's a great way to be able to support us, especially at the end of year. Definitely. Well, thank you both so much for spending all this time telling me more and um, making me feel like part of your family too. (laughs) I appreciate that. And so we'll definitely put all these things in the show notes so that people can find the different different initiatives. But Mm -hmm. the easiest one to me is just remembering text orange to 71760. And um, that's that's a great one. Or visit brookusa.org. There you go. Yep. And just remember that everyone has the power of one. That's really our overarching theme in 2021. So I know that together we can all do this. If you'd like to support Brook USA and help this work continue, you can donate by texting ORANGE to 71760.